the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, I want to give a basic Christian approach to death. At the beginning of Lent, the season that we're currently in, we received ashes on our foreheads and we heard these words, from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. This is a season when we remember our mortality. But since Ash Wednesday, the reality of life's fragility has confronted us in another surprising way, the crisis of this deadly pandemic. The talk of death is everywhere, and some of us in this community know people or are related to people who are sick from this disease, who are very possibly facing death. And of course, the media is reporting continually on the death toll from the disease. We're looking at mortality rates and trying to understand what this means. We are constantly reminded that this is a deadly disease and all the precautions we are taking when it gets down to it are precautions to avoid death. How should Christians think about and engage death? Our gospel lesson this morning is a famous one. It's the story of Lazarus. And if you look at John's gospel, the first part of John's gospel is bookended with two miracles. The first part of the gospel is a book of signs, a book of Jesus' miracles. So the first miracle in John chapter 2, Jesus, he goes to a wedding and he turns water into wine. And now in this seventh miracle, Jesus goes to a funeral and he turns death into life. So let's get this text in front of us to see what's going on. Lazarus, he's the brother of Jesus' friends, Mary and Martha. And Mary, Jesus tells us, is the one who anointed Jesus' feet. This will happen in the next chapter. This is a close group of friends. But Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, is sick. The sisters let Jesus know that the one he loves is ill. And in the midst of this illness, they call out Jesus' love. How will Jesus, in his love, respond to his friend who is very, very sick? John chapter 11, verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Jesus will enter into this sickness in such a way that God might be glorified and that he might be glorified through this sickness. But Jesus stalls. He doesn't go immediately to his friend. In verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer the place where he was. What's going on? Why is Jesus stalling? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we can think about here. Jesus knows what awaits him. Judea is a dangerous place. He knows that his life is at risk. In fact, he knows that he is heading to his death, and Judea will be the place where that will happen. It is a dangerous place. But it's also possible that as Jesus is waiting behind, he is praying for his sick friend, he is wrestling with the Father. We have a hint later in John chapter 11 when Jesus, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus has been praying for Lazarus, and the Father hears and answers Jesus' prayer for Lazarus. Jesus tells the sisters, he tells his disciples, rather, that Lazarus is asleep and that he will go to wake him up. 
Now, of course, they're a bit confused by this. They say, no, we, words come back that Lazarus has died. So Jesus goes to Bethany and he enters into a funeral. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Friends and family have arrived to mourn. Jesus, as we said, goes to a wedding in John chapter 2 to rejoice. But here he comes to a funeral to mourn. Just like Jesus takes over the wedding, he will take over this funeral. Funerals were six-day affairs where you would stay seated in your mourning, as Mary does here initially in her grief. But Martha gets up, and she goes out to meet Jesus. She believes Jesus could have saved Lazarus. He could have done something about it. It's Jesus' fault that Lazarus died. This is an important conversation he has here with Martha. Jesus tells her, Lazarus will rise again. Now, Martha has good theology. She believes in Jesus. She confesses that he's the Messiah. She agrees with Jesus that Lazarus will rise again on the last day. She believes in a resurrection, but she had hoped that Jesus would have intervened before Lazarus died. In the midst of suffering, grief, and death, Jesus here will make what is the most central claim about himself and about the Christian faith. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus makes this astounding statement. And he keeps moving towards the village, towards the funeral. And now Sister Mary comes and she makes a similar claim. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Do you see the faith that these two sisters had in Jesus? They really are great examples of faith. Faith in Jesus' power to give life. They really believe that Jesus has authority over sickness. Jesus, he enters into this funeral. He sees the grief, weeping and sorrow, and he joins it. He is deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. He breaks down in tears. And we read this short but very powerful verse in verse 35. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then Jesus moves into action. He orders the stone to be moved away. He prays at the tomb and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out, and we read in verse 44, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Lazarus emerges from death to life. I want to consider, in light of this story, a basic Christian theology of death, a basic Christian approach to death. We are faced with a deadly pandemic. Folks in our community right now, as we mentioned, are connected with people who are sick and potentially facing death because of this virus. And some members of our parish could get gravely sick and die. So I think this is an important time for us to consider an approach to death, a Christian theology of death, so that we can live through this pandemic and we can live our lives as long as the Lord gives us with confidence and hope, even in the face of death. So the first thing that I want us to see, and the most obvious thing for us to remember, is that death is certain. Lazarus died. Yes, he was raised from the dead, but eventually Lazarus would die again and wouldn't be raised from the dead. We all face death. 
the coronavirus has many of us thinking about death, even the possibility of our own death from such a disease. The pandemic has foregrounded suffering and death in our culture. And with this on our mind and in front of us now constantly, we can respond in a couple different ways to that certainty of death. One way is to take this approach that is avoiding death at all costs. Modernity has waged a war on death. And the assumption is that the more technologically advanced we get, we can outmaneuver death. There's a battle between technological and medical progress and death. After World War II came the advent of what some scholars call medicalized death. Now, at this point, death would no longer happen at home with lots of rituals involved, but death would happen in a hospital where there was this increasing hope of prolonging life. Now, we certainly and rightly celebrate the advances of modern medicine, but we now approach dying as a form of sickness. Alan Verhey, in a book called The Christian Art of Dying, he traces the history of how we've thought about death, and he notes that there was a turn in the early 20th century when dying is treated now as a sickness, a sickness to be cured at all costs. He writes this, a medicalized dying is characterized by the effort to avoid death. Again, the advances of science and medicine are to be welcome, but there he goes on to say, quote, the confidence in medicine's great powers and the hope of avoiding death have nurtured a denial that anyone is dying. People may be sick, quite sick, but to admit that they are dying seems a betrayal of the confidence we have in medicine and its technology, end quote. What's lost in all of this is the art of dying well. Death has become a medical event that represents a failure of technology and science to master it. We push death to the margins, to the fringes in our culture. We rarely ever see bodies. We want to avoid death, the presence of death, as much as possible. But there's another approach that we can have when we're faced with the certainty of death, and that is preparing to die well. Now, we should never invite death glibly. We should be pro-life from tomb, excuse me, from womb to tomb. We should promote a culture of life. But we need to recover what pre-modern Christians called the Ars Moriendi, that is the art of dying or the art of dying well. There is, of course, a sense in which we should avoid death. Yes, we need to live healthy lives. We shouldn't take foolish risks. We shouldn't put others in harm's way. And again, we welcome the advances of science and medicine to the degree that they're able to promote this, uh, this view of, of, of life. But there's another sense in which death is not something for us to avoid. Death is something that um, we should prepare for. And here's where ancient philosophy and early Christian thinking lines up. Uh, Socrates famously said that philosophy is basically a meditation on death. It's preparing to die well. Thinking about death and thinking about what the certainty of death means for how we live now. And this doesn't mean living with a constant fear of death. It actually frees us from that. It actually means being able to live life well because the inevitability of death is something that we've considered and that we're well aware of, and that we are preparing for. 
Now, for some of us, death will come sudden and tragically. For others, it will come naturally in old age. For Christians, however we might die, we can prepare to die well whenever it happens. Now, we'll come back to this at the end about exactly how we can do that. But the first thing that we need to understand as Christians as we approach death is that death is certain. And we need to face that certainty in such a way that causes us to prepare to die well. But the second thing for us to see is that death is sad. Death is always sad, however one might die and however long one might live. It is right to grieve death. Mary, Martha, and Jesus all enter into grief over their well-beloved Lazarus. Christian approach to death understands that there is a time to grieve. There's a time even to be angry at death's apparent power over us. It's striking here in the story of Lazarus, the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. He comes to a funeral and he does become one of the mourners. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus is sad at death, and we can be too. There simply is no short-circuiting the grief process. And because Jesus loved Lazarus much, he grieved much, it's not just sadness, though, that we see here. Jesus is deeply moved. Now, that's actually a very soft translation of the word that's used here, because the word here for deeply moved, it has a harsh connotation. It's the same word that's used in the Gospels for rebuking. Jesus, we might translate this, was righteously angered in his spirit and greatly distressed. So this raises the question, why is Jesus righteously angered? Why is he greatly distressed? What for? Well, he's righteously angered at death. And why is there death in the first place? St. Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The Christian faith teaches that death is a result of sin. We are all infected with the pandemic of death because we've all sinned. The world has gone awry, but so have we. We have willingly exposed ourselves and caught a deadly virus of sin. In the case, mortality rate for this is 100%. Now, for the materialist, someone who sees that this life is all that there is, death is particularly grievous because it just simply means game over. I mean, this is all that there is. But for the Christian, death is grievous because death is something like an anti-sacrament of this sin-bound world. So when we approach death, we rightly grieve. We can be sad. Death is certain, so we prepare to die well. Death is sad, so we grieve. But most importantly, death is temporary. Death is temporary, so we hope. Here are St. Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, 
God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, again, for the materialist, death is final and there is no hope. For the Christian, death is temporary. And therefore, there is hope. A theology of death needs a theology of resurrection. It's strange that this story of Lazarus and even the Old Testament reading appointed for today, the fifth Sunday in Lent, from this Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 37, it's strange that we have these resurrection stories here in the middle of Lent. Why do we have this here on the fifth Sunday of Lent? Why do we have this resurrection hope here in the season of mourning and mortality? Because the resurrection is dawning upon us. Lent, one Eastern Orthodox priest described it as a bright sadness. We embrace the suffering of the world. We rightly grieve death. We rightly grieve our sin. And we turn from it in repentance. But we do all of this with a dawn breaking on the horizon. It's a bright sadness. The dawn of the resurrection is beginning to shine its light over grief, despair, and death. And so we can grieve as those who have hope because death is temporary. Jesus is the resurrection and life. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live again. Death is temporary. Jesus is the vaccine for the global pandemic of death. He brings life to all who believe in him. Lazarus, as we said, he would die again, but he shall live again. You and I will die, but we shall live again. When we die, scriptures teach us, we go to be with the Lord. St. Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's not the end either. Resurrection is the end game. The final resurrection will include Lazarus, you, me, all the saints in glorified bodies to live in a new heavens and a new earth with our Lord forever. But death is this dark passageway we must go through alone. But for Christians, death is a door that leads to life. Death is a temporary event that leads to eternity with the Lord. Jesus' climactic miracle here is one of resurrection. It's raising Lazarus. It's a preview for the Christian hope, and it's a preview for what will happen to Jesus. Jesus is about to suffer and die in the gospel. We're approaching Holy Week. We will enter into this story of his suffering and his death. But he will be raised again. And unlike Lazarus, he will not die again because he lives now in a glorified, resurrected body, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me, in our moments of grief, in our suffering, and in our sadness, that we might live as those who hope. The art of dying well requires a basic Christian theology of death. In this pandemic, we should remember the deep resources of our faith for this particular moment. We know what to do in the face of death. We know how to approach death. We know the art of dying well because our Lord showed us the path. Therefore, we don't fear, but we hope, even in trying times like this. Amen.